I'm stressed, I'm depressed, I'm shittily dressed. I'm Terry, and this is terrifying. Warning, this podcast will discuss graphic material. So this is the story of Matthew Shepard. This story is really important to me, and I'm not really going to go into like a deep dive because I haven't really had time, but I'm going to go over the general case, and I'm going to give details of Matthew's life and the trial and about his murder. This case is important to me because my best friend's part of the LGBTQ community, and ever since I was little, I've heard about this case, like... There's been movies about it, and, like, whenever you are trying to learn about LGBTQ stuff, usually Matthew's story comes up. This story is important to me because, like I said, my best friend is part of the community. And, actually, a lot of my friends are. And I just couldn't imagine... Something like this happening to them because they're part of that community. Because they love the same sex. Matthew Wayne Shepard was born on December 1st, 1976 in Casper, Wyoming. He was born to Judy and Dennis Shepard. He was the couple's first son. His baby brother, Logan, was born in 1981. The brothers were extremely close. They were more like best friends. In school, Matthew was friendly with all of his classmates, but it's said as a child he was also often picked on due to his small stature and lack of athleticism. Matthew also became interested in politics at a very young age. In 1994, Saudi Armaco hired Matthew's father. It's an oil company based in Saudi Arabia. His parents resided in Saudi Armaco Residential Camp in Duran. Matthew attended the American school in Switzerland during his junior and senior year. The move fueled his love for travel, and it gave him a chance to make new friends around the world. In 1995, on a high school trip to Morocco, Matthew was raped. This caused him to have depression and anxiety attacks. A lot of people said that it took his bright light away. He was also hospitalized many times due to clinical depression and suicidal thoughts. He graduated from there in May of 1995. At this school, he also participated in theater. He took German and Italian. After graduating, Matthew attended Catawba College in North Carolina and Casper College in Wyoming. At the University of Wyoming, he became a first-year political science major, and he was minoring in languages. He was also chose to be the student representative for the Wyoming Environmental Council. Matthew was chose multiple times, even during high school, to represent his peers. He was friendly. Everybody loved him. Like, he... He also hated for people to be discriminated against. He wanted everybody to embrace their differences. 
Matthew was described by his father as optimistic and accepting. He was a young man with a special gift of relating to almost anyone and everyone. He was said to be very approachable, and he never turned down a new challenge. He was passionate about equality, and he stood up for others' differences. He was also said to be very tender and kind-hearted. October 16, 1998, Matthew was approached by two men by the names of Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson at the Fireside Lounge in Laramine. All three men were in their early 20s. They asked Matthew if he needed a ride home, and he accepted. And instead of driving him home, they took him to a remote rural location where they robbed him, pistol whipped him, and tortured the kind soul. They tied him to a barbed wire fence, and they left him there to die. Eighteen hours after the attack, Matthew was still tied to the fence, and he was in a coma. He was discovered by a cyclist named Aaron Crowfels. He actually had mistaken Matthew for a scarecrow. The only spots on Matthew's body that wasn't covered in dirt and blood were where his tears were streaming down his face. Reggie Flutie was the first officer to arrive on scene. She found Matthew covered in blood, but he was still alive. She just kept telling him that he wasn't alone, that she was there. That's all she cared about was telling him that she was there. He wasn't alone during this. When she tried to clear an airway of whenever she tried to clear an airway out of his bloody mouth, her gloves were faulty and they were also her last pair. She used her bare hands to clear his airways. A day later, she found out Matthew was HIV positive and she might have been exposed due to having cuts on her hands. She took an AZT treatment for months and tested negative. Judy Shepard also learned about her son's HIV positive diagnosis while he lay dying in the hospital. At first, Matthew was in Envision Memorial Hospital in Laramie. Wisconsin before being transported to a more advanced trauma unit at Podur Valley Hospital in Fort Collins, Colorado. Matthew had suffered fractures to the back of his head and in front of his right ear. There were a dozen small lacerations on his body and he had severe brainstem damage. The brainstem damage affected his body's ability to regulate heart rate, body temperature, and other vital functions. Matthew never regained consciousness. He remained on life support. His injuries were deemed too severe for operation. All around the world, candlelight vigils were held for Matthew. He was pronounced dead six days later, after the attack, at 12.53 a.m. on October 12, 1998. Henderson and McKinney's girlfriends testified that the men were never under the influence of alcohol or drugs at the time of the attack. Both men said that they were even they even learned of Matthew's home address and intended to steal from him. After they attacked Matthew and left him tied to the barbed wire fence in near freezing conditions, Henderson and McKinney returned to town. McKinney started a fight with two Hispanic boys named Emilio Morales and Jeremy Herrera. Morales and McKinney both ended up with head wounds. Officer Flint Walters arrived on the scene and arrested Henderson. 
During a search of McKinney's truck, he found Matthew's shoes and credit card. He also found a gun that had blood smeared on it. Later, Henderson and McKinney tried to get their girlfriends to lie for them and for them to help dispose of the evidence. McKinney and Henderson were arrested and initially charged with attempted murder, kidnapping, and aggravated robbery. When Matthew passed away, the attempted murder charge turned into first-degree murder. The two men became eligible for the death penalty. Kristen Price and Chastity Pousley were charged with accessory after the fact. November 1988, during McKinney's pre-trial hearing, Sergeant Rob Debris testified that McKinney had stated in an earlier interview that on October 9th, he and Henderson identified Matthew as a robbery target, and they pretended to be gay to lure Matthew to the truck. McKinney attacked Matthew after Matthew placed his hand on McKinney's knee. Detective Ben Fritzen testified that Kristen Price stated that McKinney's violence towards Matthew was triggered over how McKinney felt about gays. De- December 1988, Chastity Pauzley pled guilty to being an accessory after the fact to first-degree murder. On April 5, 1999, Henderson avoided going to the trial due to pleading guilty to the murder and kidnapping charges. To avoid the death penalty, Henderson agreed to testify against McKinney. Henderson was sentenced at two consecutive life terms. At Henderson's trial, his lawyer tried to argue that Matthew wasn't killed due to his sexuality. During October and November of 1999, the McKinney trial took place. Prosecutor Carl Rarucha alleged that McKinney and Henderson pretended to be gay to hint to gain Matthew's trust and to lure him to the truck. I'm sorry guys, I can't talk again. McKinney's girlfriend, Kirsten Price, testified that Henderson and McKinney pretended to be gay to get Matthew in the truck with them and rob him. McKinney's lawyer tried to use the gay panic defense and he said that McKinney was considered temporarily insane due to Matthew's sexual, alleged sexual advances. This defense was rejected by the judge. McKinney's lawyer also stated that it was only supposed to be a robbery and not a murder. Rarucha argued that killing, the killing was premeditated. He said it was a crime that was fueled by greed and violence, but not over Matthew's sexuality. He, was, he wasn't found guilty for premeditated murder, but he was found guilty for felony murder. They began to deliberate on the death penalty. McKinney was sentenced to two life terms without the chance of parole. After Matthew's death, the Matthew Shepherd Foundation was created. Their slogan is Matthew Shepherd Foundation, erasing hate since 1998. Their mission is that they amplify the story of Matthew to inspire individuals, organizations, and other communities to embrace the dignity and equality of all people. They also have the Matthews Place, which is a place or a program by the foundation for words of the LGBTQ youth, and they want to erase hate. Matthew has inspired a lot of people, and he also has 
been, he's, I don't want to say an icon, but he's been the face of a lot of anti-hate and candlelight vigils and everybody just wants to do good in Matthew's name. To honor Matthew, just hug your LGBTQ friends a little tighter and just try not to spread hate and love everyone and embrace everybody's differences. Um, Morbid Podcast did a really, really, really great episode about Matthew and um, they're Elena and Ash are just perfect, so if you want to listen to a more in-depth one, I'd highly recommend theirs, but um, we have a Facebook page now, it's just Terrifying Podcast, or Terrifying Pod, and um, we have the Instagram, which is Terrifying underscore Podcast. Do you guys want me to create an email? Oh, we have a Twitter now, it's Terrifying Pod. And, um, uh, like, I just want to create a community with this podcast that embraces everyone, talks about true crime, and I just really hope you guys keep listening. Tell a friend, um, share, leave a review. It really helps small podcasts like me get out there. But anyway, I hope you keep listening because this is going to be terrifying.